I think most people look at me and they just say, how? I don't look at myself as a victim. I understand my calling. I can look back over my life and see where everything that I've been through has equipped me to do what I do every day. If I don't use my voice for these women and children, who will? Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. Every Thursday, we are sharing a new episode in our Your Story Matters podcast series. This is an opportunity for people from Collective to be real about their brokenness and what God has done and is doing in their lives. These stories will be real and raw and vulnerable, and we hope they encourage and inspire you in your own faith to share your story. To watch the sermons from the Your Story Matters series or to find out more, you can head to www.mycollective.church. We hope you enjoy these stories. Thank you for joining us for the Your Story Matters podcast, a podcast where people from Collective Church sit down and share their stories. Um, These are people who are choosing vulnerability, are choosing um, trusting God with their story so that you can see and experience the goodness of God in other people's lives. And um, this podcast is... Uh, not just about great things, it's about hard things and trials and errors. It's about the peaks and the valleys. Um, Really, it's about um, our brokenness and what we've been through in our lives and how we've seen God show up um, in those moments, how we've had God bring us through those moments, or really how those even really hard moments have led us to an understanding of who God is. Um, And we are uh, in the final few weeks of this year-long project, and it's been incredible. Um, But I want to encourage you, if you're picking up this podcast for the first time, um, this is one of the last stories that we're sharing. And so uh, listen to these stories, but don't let these be the only stories that you listen to, because um, so much of this podcast and the beauty of it and really the fullness and the bigness of God is seen in this collection of stories that people have shared over the past uh, year and a few weeks. And so I encourage you to listen to this podcast today, um, but go back and listen to episode one and and hear all of it Um, because the story that you're going to hear today and over the next few weeks, um, they're just part of it. And they're part of this incredible group of people who have chosen to share honestly and openly with you. And um, so we just encourage you to listen to the whole series, uh, hear it all, because it really does show really just how good God is. And today um, I'm joined by two people who um, I adore, people who uh, have meant a lot to me and have been a huge encouragement to me as we go into this series and have been doing this. Um, Carly and Levine, thank you so much for taking the time um, to be here and to share your story. Um, I know that for both of you, uh, the moment people hear your voices or they see the clip online, they a lot of people know you because you've shared your story before. But I'm really excited because this is the first time you've shared it specifically at Collective, and, and so I'm thankful for that. Just a side note for those of you who've been following us along and noticed halfway through the podcast, the table changed. Levine built this table for us, and so there's something really full circle about uh, Levine um, using his skills and his talents to, to give us this incredible space, um, but then sitting at the table as well, and not just building it for us, but, but being willing to share. Um, and so I'm thankful for that. And so, Carlia, we're going to start with you today. 
Tell us a little bit about your childhood. Tell us where you grew up, um, a little bit about your family, and if faith was a part of that, what was that like? Sure. So I always say I didn't have a bad childhood, but I had bad things happen to me in my childhood. Um, I grew up in a broken family. Um, my biological father um, was drug addicted, is still drug addicted. Wow. Um, and there is five of us. Uh, my one brother and I, who are closest in age, have the same mother and father. But then I have uh, three half siblings as well, So, which makes a total of five. Um, I was born in San Antonio, Texas. Oh, and wow. so um, my biological father was in the military. So we ended up um, in D.C. where my mom is born and raised, and we eventually moved to Laurel, Maryland, and then ended up in Frederick. Um, And so along the way, my mom met my stepdad, which was um, probably one of the best things that happened in my life. And so we moved to Frederick, and I've been there since I was 10 years old. And so... My brother and I grew up, you know, and, and we were both athletic. We had really good, you know, fairly decent childhoods. But um, at eight years old, I was molested um, and sexually assaulted by a family member. And it forever changed my life. Yeah. And so I became very angry, um, very violent in middle school. Um, I just, I could not trust anybody. And I was acting out because at eight years old, you don't know. Um, how to communicate that. And so this went on for a period of two years and I literally just became a monster. By time I hit the end of middle school, I had been suspended. I had hit every girl I could possibly hit. And so my parents made the decision to put me in private school. It kind of went leveled out there. You know, I got involved in sports. Um, I met my best friends in the world that are still my best friends till today. And I just became, you know, a person that could cope, at least so I thought. And so I wouldn't really say I was coping. I would say I was more like masking um, through other things. And so um, I made it through high school, graduated with good grades. I've always wanted to be a news anchor. Wow. That was my dream. Like when Man. I was younger, I would walk around the neighborhood and interview yeah. the neighbors and you know, that was my thing. And so I got into one of the best journalism schools in the country. Unfortunately, um, while I was there, you know, I ended up having a foot surgery and became addicted to painkillers. Wow. And so um, during this time, it was a really, really crazy time for me because when I started college, I was very straight laced, never went to parties, never did anything. I was really good. That, that's, I think, unique in a big way because in light of what you went through as a kid, like it came out for you as anger, yes. which I would say from, from my understanding of it, and you, you know this a lot better than I do, is you don't see that a lot in women where right. anger is the output, right? right? Mm-hmm. But for you, even in high school, like there wasn't drinking, there wasn't drugs. Yeah. It, was, it wasn't any of that yeah. stuff. So the only thing for you in your life that was like an indicator of everybody else around you was the temperament change Correct. and the anger. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's so that's interesting because a lot of times when people share their stories about what they've been through, the coping with drugs, alcohol, sometimes it's work. We see it in, with with work, you know, whatever it may be, it starts really early. Um, but for you, while it's there and it's kind of sitting underneath the surface, it doesn't start until college. Growing up, was was faith a part of your life? Like, was church a part of it? And, and 
and what was that like? Or was it kind of like, because like, there's a lot of assumptions about Frederick military, all those things. So can you explain that to us a yeah. little bit? Yeah, so when we lived in Laurel, um, I went to church um, in Greenbelt. And we loved that church. It was like, it was really good. We went every Sunday faithfully. And then when we came to Frederick, we just quit going to church. Um, And so I have always had a relationship with God. I'm not a person that had to go find God or wondered if he was real. I know because of the things that have occurred in my life that God has always had a hand on me at some point. When you were in that high school age, was there any tension between you and God? Like after what you had gone through you know, as a kid and as you're like kind of experiencing the anger stuff, was there frustration toward God as well? Or was it understanding that because having a, a drug addicted father, you knew at a very young age, life is not fair. And there are things outside of your control that like, it's not your fault, but you in- receive experience, inherit, whatever it is, this pain and these problems. Did you feel any tension with God during that time? Or was it like, God protect me as I deal with these things? What, what did that look like? I think that I, I probably was the complete opposite. I had no expectations for anybody. Wow. And I carried that through my entire life, probably recently until about five years ago. Yeah. No yeah. expectations for people. Um, yeah. I remember my dad writing from prison saying he was going to do this, that, and the other. Never showed up, never did anything. Yeah. And it, re- it really, and you know, as I get into it, you'll see where I created this wall where I was my own rock and I was not going to let anybody else break me or anybody else around me because I was so used to people letting me down. Yeah. So, yeah. So get us back to college. How did you break your foot? So I actually had a cyst on my foot um, and ended up having two other ones, but I was prescribed a very, very large quantity um, of opiates and you know, I always say you don't know how much pain you're in until you take something to to cover that pain sure. up. And I had just been accepted um, or just been put on WVU News, um, which we had to compete for. It was a huge deal. Um, and I was chosen to be the sports anchor, got to cover the elections in West Virginia. Wow. You know, so it was kind of cool. And before I knew it, it was like everything that I had worked towards was just slipping right out of my hand. And so I grew to love painkillers and alcohol and weed. I mean, and and all three together, never separately. That hurt from being molested and sexually assaulted. That hurt from my dad not being there. That hurt from everything that I felt like I missed out on in my childhood hit the surface immediately. And so that became my way to numb. And in college, I mean, my behavior just became very erratic. I wouldn't say I was promiscuous, but I had no respect for men. And I mean none. It was every relationship I had with a man was completely transactional. Either you were taking me somewhere, buying me something, doing something, but there was no way. I was gonna let you in my space to do anything. And I carried that for a very, very long time. Um, And my senior year, which I always say, you know, if you've watched anything I've done, my son saved my life. I became pregnant my my senior year in college. And um, I didn't stop using. I would love to say that I stopped using and I didn't, but Right before, I would say four months before I had him, I managed, um, I actually fell down the steps 
And so I was put on bed rest. Wow. And so I couldn't use. So that's when I say God, I've always know that God, he always shows his face right at the right time. And so when I gave birth to my son, still not enough to stop using, I went right back. And then one day I was literally sitting in my bedroom and I heard God say to me, it's time. That's all he said was it's time. And I knew exactly what it meant. That particular night I slept through the baby monitor and my mom who never cries came in the room and she said, I can't, I can't do it anymore. Like you have to get help. Um, and so that morning, um, if you know anything about treatment centers, you never call and get in. (laughs) That morning I called, they got me in the same day. Wow. And my mom drove me up, um, to Mount Manor Treatment Center in Emmitsburg and the rest is history. Um, I spent, you know, 28 days in that program, getting my, my life back together. My son was 10 months old. All I knew is I did not want to be to him what my dad had been to me. Yeah. I fought. It was the hardest thing I ever did, but I knew I was never going back to that place. I told the counselors, unless I'm employed here, I'm never coming back here. I hated (laughs) it. I hated it. So I came home and I just remember it being so hard. Yeah. So hard. I cried and I cried and I was not a crier. Um, But after I got sober, I mean, it just broke me. Yeah. And I cried, I, I think for a year straight just trying to figure out what my life was going to be. I remember having so much anxiety because I was always higher drunk. Yeah. I didn't know what it was like to be in public. Like even just socializing with people became very difficult. You go to college, you have all these dreams and and I'm assuming like, you know, you said you walk around your neighborhood, mm-hmm. you know, interviewing people. Like people saw it and they believed in you mm-hmm. and they they thought mm-hmm. she's going to be on my TV one day, right? And then all of a sudden you're back in, at the time especially, it's yeah. a small town still. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys probably know that more than most yeah. because, yeah. you know, when you when you have stories, sometimes Frederick is a tough place to live because you're like, I can't get away mm-hmm. from that story. Mm-hmm. Um, was that tough to come back here as well and have a baby? Like, you know, what you thought life would be versus what it was. It was very difficult because my entire life and not just the community, but my parents have always held me to this high standard. And it's been like that my entire life. And in a weird way, it felt good to just suck for a little bit. Sure, You know, because it was like, no one can have an expectation of me right now. I'm just where I am, you know? And it was very difficult because people judge me. Someone, I remember, you're a loser, you're never going to amount to anything, junkie, you threw your whole life away, you know? And those things don't ever really leave you. I don't care how much success I ever have, those things still sit in the back of my head. And so it makes failure that much harder. Failure is a part of life. But for someone that's in recovery, it always makes us feel like, you know, I'm I'm back in that place. And so... Um, trying to find a job, trying to go to IOP, uh, which is intensive outpatient people in recovery will go to, um, to continue with their sobriety. It was so hard. I had to choose between, you know, what I was going to do. I didn't have the money. I had to stay with my mom, you know, and, and thank God for her and, and my stepdad, because if I didn't have them, I don't know what, you know, what I would have done. Um, and so I just remember saying, this is I can't do it. I remember one day just saying, I can't do it. 
Well, my aunt, my aunt Andrea, um, who is my mom's sister, um, she just, I would go and, you know, see her. And I love her because she's so blunt. She yeah. just would give it to me raw, you know, and, but she was my biggest supporter. And I would go up and sit on her couch and, you know, just tell her about what was going on and just tell her how I was feeling. And she would say, you really need to go back to church. Wow. You know, and I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm not ready for that yeah. yet. And so some years passed, you know, and, and my son, you know, is probably about three and I get a phone call about my brother. But prior to, before I get to my brother, I'll say I got married. I was um, dating this guy. Again, this was the second time that I heard God speak to me very clearly and and just say no. Yeah. You know, just no. And, and I knew it. I could feel it. But I got married anyways. Yeah. $20,000 wedding. What? Um, and I felt so much guilt to back out of it because so much money had been spent. Yeah. And I knew that it, it just was not the right thing to yeah. do. So I get a call um, from my aunts down in South Carolina where my other half siblings are saying that my youngest sibling, Malik, is going to go into foster care. Um, could I take him? What? So I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm, I'm in, the, in this marriage that I don't want to be in. Um, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I have this child and, and I'm like, okay. So it, I just, I prayed about it and, and I was just like, okay, I'll take him. So he was 10 years old when he oh came. Gosh. I remember my husband at the time looking at me and saying, he's like, if we're not getting money for him, I'm not, I'm not keeping yeah. him. So literally the next day I woke up and I said, well, then file for divorce. And that's what he did. And so we struggled. I, my parents helped me get a townhouse. Um, there were some days the electric was off. Yeah. Some days we didn't have food. I mean, it was the struggle, but I knew I was doing the right thing. How old were you at the time? Um, I was 28. Okay. So you're 28 years old. Yep. In recovery, but you're you're sober Still, yeah. at the time. But exactly. It's, you know, exactly. and we've had a lot of people share on the podcast about recovery and how it's daily. Like you, 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 you count days, you don't count months. You, you try to focus on the day that's right ahead of you. And, and this is a, a sibling, but they're half sibling, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Understanding that if you don't take him in, your situation sucked, right. but it's even, we know the foster care even system worse. is even, even worse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's not a knock on foster care. Right. It's honestly, if from a soapbox, anything, it's a knock on the church for not stepping up and people mm-hmm. for not caring for people. Right. And so you're 28 years old. You have a kid mm-hmm. now kind of two. two in recovery. And this dude is like, I'm out. Yeah. What yep. the heck? Yeah. And the craziest thing was Malik and I had never met. You never met. Oh my goodness. Never met. So I was getting a kid that I had never met and I just knew I knew what he was going through because we have the same father. Was he in jail at the time? Yes. Yeah. Yep. And so when he came and we found out the things that were going on, I I, I can't even begin to tell you. How heartbreaking um, for to even imagine a ten or eleven year old yeah. enduring those types of things um, was crazy. He came. He was very angry. Yeah. Something that I could relate to. The first two years were very challenging um, because I didn't know 
how to make him feel better. Yeah. You know, I just knew that I had to consistently be there. So I got him into football and it was the best thing that I could have ever done. Yeah. It was his outlet. And so for the first thing, thing you know, for the first time, things started to kind of work themselves out and, and we struggled. We struggled really bad. Um, I got a job in corporate America. I hated it, but it paid the bills. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm not a corporate America person. Yeah. Uh, I'm a community and a heart work type of person. So, but I did what I had to do to pay the bills yeah. and, and I was really good at it. And so I did it for some years. And then I had a really bad car accident that would also, you know, kind of change the trajectory of my life. I had to be cut out of the car. Wow. Um, I opted to not have pain pills and did the chiropractic care. Um, it was five days a week for wow. several months. It just changed things. I, I realized um, just during that time, this is not how I want to spend my life. I want to be able to help people. And I got to thinking about my story and how hard it was with Dominic and then Malik in foster care, you know, and just thinking about all these components. And so I was like, you know what? I just don't, you know, God, however you want to use me, tell me, you know? And it just turned out I decided to go back to school and get an addiction counseling degree. Wow. And that's what I did. I just literally, it was nothing fancy, nothing. It just literally happened like that. I prayed about it one night and just quit my job and, and in true Carlia form. And <laughs> <laughs> you know me, I just, when God says go, I go. Yeah. Well, and you have a pretty good track record with like the... <laughs> God told you it's time and yep. you listen and then God told you no and you didn't. didn't. And so this time you're like, <laughs> right. all right, well, uh, you know, you, and at that point you've learned, you've taken what you've been through. One thing that you, you just mentioned that I think is really important to point out just for like the awareness sake of it is um, there is something in our culture where women, specifically like single moms, um, people will be like, oh, single moms are the toughest people in the world. And I believe that's true. I, I don't think life is harder for many people than single moms, but there's still this expectations with single moms where it's like, you're so tough, yep. figure it out, yep. you know, and you don't, there aren't a lot of single, single dad isn't really like a culture that much. And, you know, again, that's a whole other part of the conversation. But one of the hard things about what you went through is society's expectations specifically on single moms, but specifically on single black women right. where in right. your culture, there's a lot of expectation of like, figure it out. That has to be a lot considering you mentioned earlier, like so much of life was pressure and pressure to succeed and, and to be good and to be right and to, to be powerful and capable. So you kind of got to a point where like, no, screw that. Yeah. Like I, I want to take care of these kids. It's not that you didn't want to saying, but I'm going to do it the way I want to do it rather than the way like kind of society says, be strong, right. you know, you're going, I'll be strong, but I'm going to be strong, not just for the sake of a job, but for the sake of using my story for right. impact, which, you know, is, I think very overlooked in, in our culture in general, specifically when it comes to women who are single moms. That is something that I share about quite a bit is that societal norm of black women are supposed to be strong, showing any signs of weakness is, is just not tolerated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I come from a family, a strong line of black women on both sides of my family, and, and being weak just is not an option. It never has been. Um, so all of this was, was very challenging yeah. to keep up, 
you know, that facade and to, to pretend like everything was okay because in the outside world, and I think my life's a lot like that today. Yeah. To the outside world, yeah. you know, my life's perfect. You know, I have it all and, you know, I'm tough and, and, and I can, you know, get what I want, but they don't see, you know, the price that gets paid in order to have that stuff. And so I ended up going back to school, um, ended up transactionally meeting a man and getting pregnant. Um, so I was taking care of two kids and nine months pregnant Wow! with our daughter when, when I graduated. I didn't even walk across the stage <laughs> because I was too pregnant. You're like, listen. Yeah, so... Um, you know, and, and that accomplishment, but all of that while interning and working a full-time job and going to school and, and just in true form of having to push through and get it done. And so, um, I started off in the addiction field, um, ended up going to work at Mountain Manor where I said, that's exactly, I ended up, um, a primary counselor there, um. And I learned a lot while I was there. There was a lot of pain there, but there was a lot, you know, um, I have a tremendous amount of respect for the staff and and just the the life lessons I learned while I was there, which I've only talked about one other time. I ended up marrying a guy that was in a program there. And again, God said, nope, don't do it. And so what did I do? I did it. Yeah. Um, and I paid the ultimate price for that because he ended up relapsing, um, and he became very violent, very violent. For about six months, I endured um, a tremendous amount of domestic violence. Wow. Just, I, it was horrible. It was horrible. My kids witnessed that. Um, mm-hmm. My parents felt helpless, and one night I just told my mom, I said, I got to get out of here or he's going to kill me. Um, And she literally came over. I called my best friend. I have one best friend I can call her at any time. If I say we got a cleaner move, (laughs) she's she's there. (laughs) She's just there. So they came over, and while he was at work, we packed up the entire apartment. I had already talked to the, you know, the manager of the apartment. They already knew what was going on and we got everything out. And it was like a new beginning. There was still a lot of pain. Um, I got in therapy um, for a year. I just took time to figure out why I kept filling the need because it really, it wasn't their fault, it was mine. It was that I know I'm supposed to be here at this age and doing this, but I really don't like these guys, yeah. you know? It's like when I look back on it, it's like, why, you know? I never had any respect for them. They had no respect for me, it, it, again, but, you know, it was what I could get. It was somebody to help pay the bills. It was not having the struggle, you know? And so started attending the AME church, and I spent that year really I just on my knees is yeah. the best way to explain it. I went to every church service. If they had a revival, I was at it, you know. I mean, I literally just poured my heart out because I was broken. That was like the last straw for me. It was like I I would rather be by myself for the rest of my life than to continue to live like this. Yeah. And in therapy, I learned a lot about myself. I learned that I didn't respect men because of my dad, and I had no expectations of them yep. um, because of him. But I knew... That if I didn't change my behavior, 
my sons and you know i call my brother my son because he's yeah. he's like one they would not know how to treat women if i continue to bring men in in this pattern um and then i had a daughter yeah. so then it became yeah. really real um for me that i never wanted her to see that yeah. ever um and so you know, Levine eventually came around and I was like, oh, no, 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 like not interested. And this time God was telling me, yes. And what would you know? I, I was fighting with him <laughs> yeah. and, and he's actually telling me it's OK. Yeah. And I prayed about it and my family loved him. You know, the kids loved him. And I was just like, no, I just, yeah. you know, I I don't want to date someone in recovery. I don't want to go down this road again. I feel like this is the same cycle. But then the more we talked, the more I realized, like, this might be my person. Yeah. This is the first time in my life I felt connected to somebody. It wasn't a transaction. Yep. It wasn't oh, this is just something I'm doing. I'm like, no, this might really be, yeah. you know, God's doing. And so we we talked, you know, every night because he's in Westminster and I'm, you know, in Frederick. So we would see each other on the weekends, you know, when we could. But we built this very, very close-knit relationship um, over time. And we decided, um, you know, I remember telling him, I said, Hey, I want to start this nonprofit, and he's like, "Okay, cool." Yeah. But, you know, but I don't think he had any idea yeah. what that was going to entail. Neither did I. Yeah. So I went, left my job again, wow. and said, "I that's this is what I want to do with the rest of my life. I don't know where it's going to go from here, but this is what I want to do." We um, started the nonprofit, and we had the house, and I was like, "Well, we got to do this, this, and you know." At this point, I'm married to a carpenter, so it's like, you know, but we spent six months in that house and some days we didn't like each other. Mm-mm. We were tired. We spent yeah. hours and hours in that house um, getting it ready. And in December 2019, we opened it and it was really, it was surreal. It mm. really was because it was just. You know, a lot of people start nonprofits for different reasons, but this was my heart and soul. Um, everything that my life, you know, summed up about my life was going into this program. And to be able to have the opportunity to stop a child from going into foster care or to help a mom who made bad decisions be reun- reunified with her kid. Yeah just meant more than anybody um, could ever, you know, put into words or even imagine. We started that nonprofit and it just became, um, it became our identity. I always say it was the gift and the curse, you know, because it it drove a wedge in between us. Yeah. Um, Getting a nonprofit off of the ground required, I mean, I would say I was easily working 60 hour work weeks, easily. Mm. It meant that I left him alone a lot and I wanted him to be understanding of the fact of how important this was but I wasn't understanding of the fact that I really wasn't being a wife or a mom yeah Um, he was having to carry a lot of that burden and my mom um, so that I could do this and um, I say it was a, a bad thing but it was the best thing that happened to both of us 
because it forced us, it wasn't the nonprofit. It was my lack of expectations. It was his family dynamic and where he had come from, you know, in his life. And um, it forced us to really, really have to grow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's one of the ways God does work is that he takes these really good things um, because like creating a home for women who are in recovery or women who just need help, which again, and we've talked about this already, but like those places don't exist for women, right? When you think about addiction and you think about recovery and you think about losing children, there's all these resources that exist for men. And for a long time, I think we've thought of addiction as a, a masculine issue rather than a people issue. Um, and so you're creating a space that you never had, yep. right? And you're taking your story mm-hmm. You're not just telling it, right? Mm-hmm. Right. There's action with it. Mm-hmm. All good things. Yeah. You know, you're helping um, women have what you didn't have. Um, you know, and, and you were lucky enough to have, uh, you know, family and, and like specifically your mom who like leaned in, but a lot of them don't. Mm-hmm. They don't have that. Mm-hmm. That is a good thing. Yeah. But you know, all the other stuff in your life, kind of going unchecked. Yeah. You've never been dishonest about it. You've always been honest about it. And and I, I tell people all the time, like at Collective, like we are super vulnerable as a church. Yeah. It's one thing for me to say my parents are divorced because mm-hmm. that is a fact. Mm-hmm. It's another thing for me to say, and this is how I brought that pain into my marriage. Right. Or, and this is what that led to in my own anger. And so for you, your life was an open book. Mm-hmm. And so you're like, okay, here here's the facts in it. But this this house and this nonprofit kind of pulled on the hey, there's some pain here and there's some fear here um, and there's some health here. Mm-hmm. You know, like there has been growth and has been health, but at the root of it, there's still all those things down there. And, and we talked, um, when this comes out, th- this podcast will come out a few months after our Game Changer series. But one of the things we talked about is like, those things in the dark never stay in the dark. Mm-hmm. And as much as we build this really nice thing on top of that foundation, it's still, it's still there. And God used this really good thing God, well, God used this really terrible thing, which was your past, mm-hmm. to make this really good thing right. that then brought these, these like, really heavy things right. out. Um, and so uh, talk to us a little bit more about that, and then we'll have Levine kind of loop us back from his story. Right. But for you personally, you opened the house in 2019. Anytime someone shares on the podcast the year 2019, everyone's like, oh, crap, COVID's coming. <laughs> yeah. Right? So, like, yeah. kind of take us through what that nonprofit and how, how it did bring some things to the surface. Um, and then we'll kind of stop and we'll go back and let Levine catch us up to, to that point as well. But kind of dig into that a little bit more. Yeah, so I think for me, it, it was what was the most difficult, um, even though I knew that I had found my person, was letting him be my husband. Um, I've always, you know, been, for the most part, a single mom and had to take on the brunt of things and working and I was accustomed to it. It was like nothing to me, you know? And so realizing that I had a partner, I had to let him be my partner. And that was very difficult for me, very difficult. I come from a fam- both sides, divorce, you know, it, it, it was just, it, it was second nature to me, how I've been raised. Yeah. And so um, the nonprofit, um, made me realize that I needed to work on some things. Um, we started going to a church. Um, and um, this is, I think, I would say where our 
marriage really got tested and kind of took a turn um, because I would go to that church and I was very angry because Levine would opt to watch football on Sundays while I went to church. And so I became very, very angry with him. And then in true form, God just said to me, just pray for him. You go to church and just pray for him. And it was about, I think maybe two, two and a half months later, he got up one morning when I got up and he, I was like, where are you going? And he's like, I'm going to church. And so we started going to church. Um, and this particular church was about 45 minutes from home. So it was, mm-hmm. you know, far. And he really didn't like the church, but he did. Mm-hmm. He did go um, and support me. And so, um, and, um, you know, I sang while I was there. And, you know, and we, it, it was good until it wasn't. Um, the pastor um, called me to his house um, and told me he wanted to meet with me and his wife. And, it was just him there and so uh he made a sexual pass at me um and for me that sent me spiraling all the way backwards because that took me back to when i was eight years old and that just did me in i wasn't able to communicate that effectively to him i laid in bed for multiple days it was humiliating on top of that there was no recourse for us there was nothing done Um, and we were just left feeling very vulnerable and exposed and he was angry and could not react the way he wanted to. I was angry and just didn't know how to react. And, um, it drove a wedge in between us. We stopped going to church, COVID hit, um, and we were in the house together and that's actually when Levine discovered that he was really good with wood. You know, and, and it was as hard as COVID was, it was a good time out. Yeah. Because it felt like the world was closing in on us. Yeah. Um and I just remember saying to him one day, We gotta find a church. We gotta find a church. Yeah. Like I can't sit in here anymore like i we have to find a church and we came rob invited us to um see him get baptized and we wouldn't have missed that for the world yeah um and so we came and we were just like hmm you know (laughs) i kind of like this i kind of like that church you know and so we came back and we haven't left since and um I say that collective has changed our lives, um, and it's not because it's perfect. No, not even um, close. It's because you have believed in us. Um, when others have slammed the door in our face, we know that we're not immune or or gonna escape the criticism of the world. And this church is just a special place for us. I, I don't even know how else to say it. It's just home. It's yeah. home for us, and all that pain that we've been through throughout our lives. When we come here, it feels okay. Yeah. And there's very few places we can go in this world where we feel safe and secure. But we know no matter what we come here, no matter what we're going through, we can reach out and somebody's going to help us. Wow. And so Collective is more than church. It's family and it's home to us. Um, people don't get to see my face <laughs> as, I, as I sit here, but you guys do. And, and I knew a lot of your story but I, there are many parts of it I didn't. And so let me let me just say this, and then I've got a, a question for you. Being a lead pastor is a huge honor. I felt like God asked me to do it. 
but at the same time, it's still me going, I, I guess I'm going to be a lead pastor in a church, you know? And, and a lot of it is like, okay, God, well, sure. Um, and so it is a huge honor. I didn't know what your past church experience was like for both of you guys. And, um, it's very humbling that you guys came. I knew in came in support of Rob, but even more so that you would give church another chance and, and trust us because what you went through is n- not okay. Not okay. And as much as I would love to say that's an anomaly in the church, it's really not, mm-hmm. you know, anytime there's a leader who is unchecked that the end result is pain. And that's, that's parenting marriages, mm-hmm. nonprofits, mm-hmm. careers, all, yeah. all, all of that. Yeah. Um, but the fact that you guys would show up at, at collective and, and choose to lean in and choose vulnerability says a lot. And so one, like I, I feel honored by that, but let me ask this question because so much of your story is you doing good things, you know, that's okay. And, and you meet Levine and good things happen, but then you go to church together, pain, like so much of what you've been through. If you just take the facts, everyone could look at it and go, why do you continue to fight? Why do you continue to serve? Serving people has just brought you pain, mm-hmm. to be honest. Yeah. Um, why do you continue to trust God, right? None of it's God's fault, but like it still sucks. Yeah. So for you personally, like what has been kind of the thing behind the, hey, like, yeah, life knocks you down, but I'm going to get back up because I think a lot of people sit in those places that go through a few hard things and they're hard. They're not easy. They're not kind of hard. They're hard things. And it's so much easier for us just bow out, to bow out as a mom, as a wife, as a public figure who is helping support recovery in a community, to bow out as a follower of Jesus. And yet your story is just one of like getting back up off the mat. The problem is you've gone like 18 rounds, which isn't allowed in boxing. (laughs) Why do you keep getting up and keep going and keep fighting for people, fighting for yourself? Like why? Why do you do that? So there's two reasons I do that. Um, The first reason is, you know, I've always known that because things happen to me doesn't mean it's about me. Sure. So I can look back over my life at at 40 now and see where everything that I've been through has equipped me to do what I do every day. Um, If I hadn't gone through the foster care system, if I hadn't stood in the lines filling out food stamps and TCA and all those things. If I hadn't had to call people because my electric was shut off, I wouldn't know how to do any of those things to help the women. All of those things I've been through. Divorce. How do you file for a restraining order? How do you do all these things? So I've never looked at myself as a victim of anything. And I think that's only by the grace of God. Because I think most people look at me and they just say, how? You know, I don't look at myself as a victim. I understand my calling. And I know that my calling means I'm going to take a beating. And, And I have to be willing to take that beating in order to serve the greater good. And that's how I view it. And the other thing is, if I don't use my voice for these women and children, who will? Um, There's a reason that there's not this many programs, because if you haven't been here, you can't understand what those women feel under any circumstances. I'm all they have at the end of the day. I am their family. There's some of those women that come in that program. They've lost all their family to drug addiction or incarceration. Um, And so when they look at me with tears in their eyes and say, you're all I have, I take that to heart. And so as hard as it is um, of a job, I understand the impact 
those women are finding God in that program. They have never had a relationship with God or even been able to say God out of their mouths. Mm. Um, And so it's just so much bigger than me. I try to remove myself and look at the bigger picture. Yeah, Carly, one of the reasons why I am thankful for you and I have enjoyed getting to know you over the past year plus is, you know, we talk a lot at Collective and, and really this Your Story Matters series is a part of it where, you know, life is this uncut key, um, but then life happens and that's where the cuts and the the deep valleys come from. But an uncut key can't open any doors, right. right? And it's when we choose to let God use what we've been through, some things we chose, some things we didn't, some things you know, we ignored him, some things other people brought into our life, and it creates these peaks and these valleys and these pains uh, and these sorrows. But when we trust God and let him use it, it unlocks so much. And um, it's one thing for me to teach that because we teach it at Collective, but it's another thing for me to be able to say, hey, this is what God says, but also there's people in this church that can say, no, no, that's true in my own life. And both of you guys have that type of story um, where the things that you went through, you shouldn't have gone through. Life has been really unfair and not kind and just really just crap. But somehow you've taken what you've been through and said, okay, like I I can help other people. And again, that doesn't come when you work with people. It's, it's always hard. It's never, never easy when, when you work with people and you try to help people. And I, I would say for me personally, like since, since starting collective, um, I felt like I had an understanding of addiction and recovery. I felt like I had an understanding of um, the impacts of those things. And then, you know, we start collective and I meet people who are in those communities. And I was very ignorant toward those things on both sides, male, female, Frederick, outside of Frederick, you know, everyone in Frederick has a drug addiction problem. Like every place has a drug addiction yes. problem. They just handle it differently. Yes. And you personally, for me, it has, have helped me see like, man, like it's so much bigger. Recovery is important, but so are mental health. Yes. And, and so is, you know, support and financial yeah. support. If people don't have financial support, they can't get out of the places that they're in yeah. to get the support that yeah. they need mentally, emotionally, spiritually and all that. And you've been such an advocate for that. And, you know, as we end part one of this podcast today, um, I do want to just say for those of you who are at Collective and specifically, you know, if you are a woman at Collective and you have been through any of the things that Carly is talking about, I just encourage you to come find me or or come find her. Um, I think it's important specifically to note recovery. Um, It's important to note um, trying to keep the lights on but one of the things that you brought up that we haven't been able to talk about a lot is domestic violence. And so if you are a woman who is experiencing domestic domestic violence, come talk to us. I think it's one of the trickier things to manage and deal with, and there's a lot of fear. And, and we've had people write on prayer requests before. I'm in an abusive relationship anonymously, and it just sits in my soul because I don't know what to do with it. But because you're willing to share about that, um, this is kind of an icebreaker on that. And so if you're listening to the podcast and you're experiencing those things, Come find me on a Sunday. No, you can walk up to Carly and have a conversation with her. Um, or if it's something that you want to discuss privately, you can email us at info at mycollective.church. Um, my staff oversees that account, and we will we will help you and get you connected um, because you don't need to stay in those places. The unknown on the other side is terrifying, right? Every time you went into a program, every time, even when you started college again, mm-hmm. you don't know what the outcome That's is. Right. But if you know you can't stay in that place, that is 
far more valuable to step into the unknown than, than to stay where you Absolutely. are. And so, Carly, I, I really appreciate you. I appreciate what you mean to this church. I appreciate what you mean to this city. Thank you. Um, I love Frederick. And as I, as I spend more time here, I get to see the people who are behind so much of why I love this place. And so, um, so here's what we're going to do uh, for those of you listening. We're going to pause. Um, we're going to end episode one, part one of Carlia and Levine's story. For those of you who are like, man, I need a deep breath after this. You have a whole week <laughs> until you can get to your Levine's. But also take a big deep breath before you start that episode as well. But join us next week as we uh, hit the next part of this and Levine gets to share his story. Um, and we get to kind of catch up on things and figure out, okay, what, what comes next for you too. So thank you so much for listening to the episode today. Come back next week to hear part two.